This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Welcome back to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Conybeer. I'm broadcasting live from Huntsman Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In this next segment, we're going to talk about developments in autonomous driving with the Director of Corporate Communications and Social Media at Kia Motors America, James Bell. James, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's uh, I love talking about cars and especially cars of the future. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Well, great. Well, I'm wearing a T-shirt with an Alpha mm. on it. I'm sorry it's not a Kia, but <laughs> I love cars. So we're going to have a great segment here, and I'm thrilled like- to have I'm thrilled to have you on because you bring about 20 years of automotive and communications experience to Kia, and as I understand it, you served as head of consumer affairs for General Motor. After you were at Kelly Blue Book, where you were vice president of corporate communications and executive market analyst. Yeah, I've had some fun in the car business. I've, um, you know, I'm one of those unique situations where I've been able to merge my my personal passions and interests. I mean, if you could see my bedside table, you'd see it's covered with car magazines that I probably should read or or throw away because I'm not getting around to reading them. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in the space where I get to talk about cars, play with cars, learn about the industry, really be deep inside the industry. And it's an industry that I love. So uh, I'm a very fortunate person. So are you more of a car and driver person or a Wards Auto Week person, <laughs> Auto World person? I know what you're saying. Good question. Um, a little bit of both, I think. If I was to be very honest, I I mean, I spent uh, time in the Motor Trend uh, group of publications. I was also, as you mentioned, at Kelly Blue Book, which is a little more on the business uh, consumer transactional side. Uh, uh, my five years at General Motors were fascinating to really go deep inside a big company like that and, and see what really makes it tick. And uh, now at Kia, which is just so much more nimble but still has that OEM experience. So I guess I'm really not answering your question very well. I, it's I good. It you're com- you're, you're a <laughs> professional communicator, so this is great. Yeah, so, no, I, I love I love the whole business, and so it's fun to talk about. So what led you to Kia and working with the Koreans? Well, let's see. Um, well, they're local to where I live, so that was a benefit. But it, it, what attracted me and what I told them uh, when I first started discussing this role is I feel like there's this this kind of shroud or fog of, of interest or wonder about the Kia brand in the U.S. You know, with Kia is now in its 25th year in the United States, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they, their sense of Kia is kind of a used car alternative. You know, I don't have quite enough money to buy that really nice new car, <laughs> but I, I don't want a used car. I want new car warranty and a new car smell, so I'll get a Kia. Well, that was the Kia of old. Over the last 10 years, the organization has made a massive uh, um, investment in people and, and, and money and, and property to, to, ta- to change that perspective. And they brought in uh, masterful thinkers and engineers from uh, BMW, from uh, Japan, from other uh, companies in Germany, bringing in really the best and the best from the design side all the way through uh, to the people who designed the, the dashboards. And, um, and, and so that's why I say I feel like the Kia brand is at this interesting inflection point where there's, there's a, a shroud of, of mystery, like something's going on at Kia. I'm not sure quite what it is. And so for myself, as somebody who loves the car business, that's a challenge that uh, couldn't, couldn't be passed up. 
Do you like to race cars also? Oh, sure. Uh, let me tell you. Uh, my, my Kia bosses won't appreciate this, but five years at General Motors uh, doing the, on the IndyCar circuit and uh, the NASCAR circuit and uh, everything in between was uh, a real thrill. I, I got to do uh, a hot lap in the Indy Pace car uh, at Indianapolis 500 a couple years ago. And, again, my bosses at Kia can't offer that, so I'm really pleased I did it with GM. Yeah, it's interesting. When people look at pace cars, they think the pace car is not moving that fast, but it's actually kind of hauling ass in order to slow down the really fast Indy cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, I mean, the level of engineering detail and, and uh, additional equipment that's put onto a pace car is, is serious. And, and yeah, out there on the big, uh, say, in the Indy Oval, you do it does feel like you're going slow, but you're, you know, doing 160, 170. Uh, okay, you're not doing 240, <laughs> but uh, you're still going fast enough. And, and uh, yeah, it, it was a real thrill. So, yeah, I, I consider myself, uh, and I live in Long Beach, California. Of course, we have the Grand Prix comes through every April. So um, uh, I always find my way uh, down there in the, into the pits. So it's actually, it's interesting that we talk about racing where people are still driving the cars themselves. But the right. big trend that people have been talking about recently has been the move towards autonomous vehicles, cars that drive themselves. And that really started to come into the public consciousness about two years ago, three years ago. And then it feels to me as an investor, having looked at this space a lot, that over the last year, reality has set in and mm -hmm. that those truly self-driving cars might be a decade or two out. How do you think about that transition and how it's going to happen? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I equated a little bit to, um, well, let me back this up. I once equated it to how uh, the industry talked about fuel cell vehicles, um, you know, that it, it always seemed to be on this kind of uh, treadmill type 10 years away. And then two years go by, it's still 10 years away. And then three years go by, it's still 10 years away. Uh, I think there was a sense that autonomous was going to be going into that space, but we're rushing at it in a much more um, serious pace uh, because I think it can give people much more tangible benefits, um, especially from a safety perspective, than maybe uh, uh, an alternative fuel or a different kind of propulsion. Um, and and, and it's, it's really interesting. When we were at CES a month or so ago, I was talking with one of the engineers who worked on Kia's program, and I said, you know, what do we think people will do with autonomous cars? What is, what's the activity? And he said that uh, they've done quite a bit of surveying on this, and when you speak to people and you ask them their name and their occupation and address and, you know, get details about them and you say, OK, let's let's say you're sat into an autonomous car and you're ready to do your thing and, and have it take you where you want to go. What are you going to do with your time in the car? And again, when you get people's details, they say, I'm going to work. I'm going to talk to my family. I'm going to uh, pick up a hobby. I'm going to uh, read a book. I'm going to have they have a myriad of things that they report. You know they're going to spend it on Facebook, though, is what they're going to do. Well, okay, yeah. And they're going to send text messages. And they're going to do all the things that we all do to waste our time when we're trying to be productive. Well, let me tell you a quick side story. I was at CES maybe four years ago with when I was with General Motors. And um, I was having, we're talking about autonomous cars, and we're doing kind of a man-in-the-street interview with this, people around CES just to, to get their idea of what they might do uh, and what sort of technologies they want on board. And I'll never forget this uh, young girl who said, I really want to be able to Snapchat while I'm driving. And I thought, well, that's just a horrible thought right there. That doesn't, <laughs> That is probably not the way we should go. But in an autonomous space, yeah, that, that gives you that freedom. So what I was going to say, though, is, uh, you know, again, when you ask people their personal details, 
they give you all these very responsible answers. Facebook, obviously, is going to be amongst them. Uh, but when you ask them uh, anonymously, they come back with one c- conclusive answer. I'm going to sleep. And so that has, for me, identified where the pressure is on the car industry. Uh, because if that is what we know, people will probably, in their, in their heart of hearts and their private time, do in the vehicle, then the technology on these vehicles has to, be, has to crush it. It has to be perfect every time. Because right now, a lot of the systems are looking at still having the driver to have some level of engagement to be able to alert the driver of something happening that the car isn't quite able to navigate or some some conditional change in the road that uh, the car would like to switch back to the driver. Uh, if people are sleeping, then that really raises the standard. And so um, in my mind, that has maybe extended the distance a little bit uh, to when we're going to have cars where you can just jump in, push a button, and, and it'll take you to grandma's house. Uh, but again, the industry is going at it uh, full force. And and there's big investment being made. So when I think about autonomous in yeah. the OEM world, the original equipment manufacturer world, the big automakers, you hear about the Germans all the time. You hear about GM with what they're doing with Cruise. Haven't sure. heard as much about Kia. What is Kia doing around this area? Kia is uh, kind of taken to the next level because we feel that the autonomous idea, again, that premise of jumping in a car, pushing a button, and say, take me to grandma's house, People are starting to get their heads around. Now, when you also survey people, they say, I'm not ready for it. I'm still a little afraid of it. I, I, I want to have some degree of, of override control, which always makes me smile because uh, in, a, in a proper autonomous future, safety will, be, uh, will, will rise exponentially, except for those cars that aren't operating autonomously. Those that are being operated by humans, uh, you know, in the course of the conversation that we've had uh, just here this evening, uh, I can assure you there's been hundreds of accidents all around the country because we human drivers aren't often that great either. Uh, so, But when you, when you talk to them, they say, I'm still not quite ready to go all in, uh, but th- there's a familiarity. And so what Kia has done is said, okay, let's just assume that next level. Let's assume autonomous is, is a thing. Now let's look at post-autonomous. Let's, let's see what that interaction, that, that uh, connection is going to be between the machine and the vehicle. We already know the vehicle is going to be able to safely navigate and do its thing for you, but let's let's think about the humans on board, and and that's kind of where Kia is going at it. Because uh, candidly, we're we're right in the middle of it all when it comes to building the the navigational autonomous sides and the safety sides. But again, we're just uh, now kind of going to that next level, and again, uh, saying making the phrase post-autonomous world. Well, it's interesting when you start to dig into the automotive industry. One of the things that you learn pretty quickly is that a lot of the big manufacturers work with suppliers, tier one suppliers, that build a lot of these systems. And there are companies like Bosch and Continental, Autoleave, other people that actually supply them. And to a certain extent, what the OEMs do is they put together the overall system and they spec what that's going to be. And a lot of the lower level engineering work that makes the autonomous work is actually provided by other companies that people have never heard of, like Magna and others. Well, you are a student of the car industry. You've just said a couple of names that most people don't know, so well done for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll take you to, to even here to 2019. That's the way the car that uh, anybody who's listening to us speak right now might be driving. That car was is basically assembled by the manufacturer. 
it's a series of components which you're correct are spec you know the 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 top of the dashboard the steering wheel the pedals uh, the gear shift all these sort of things are all specced out by a manufacturer and then are, are accumulated and and brought to the factory just in time to be able to kind of put put them all in place like a like a like a, a puzzle a big uh, uh, jigsaw puzzle the only thing that the manufacturers generally you know GM uh, Ford Toyota whomever Kia We'll still do. We'll build the actual engines, assemble the motors again out of many components that maybe come from different suppliers, and stamp um, a lot of the uh, heavy sheet metal, uh, the predominant sheet metal. A lot of that stamping will still be done by the manufacturers to make sure they're able to meet their quality control uh, standards. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the the steering wheel that uh, whoever's listening to us is holding right now was not made by the company that is the brand in the middle of that steering wheel. It was made by a supplier who then makes it to the specification called out by that manufacturer. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Cunnivere, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I am here with the Director of Corporate Communications and Social Media at Kia Motors America, James Bell. So... How many self-driving cars have you ridden around in? Hmm. Well, they've only been in, you know, very controlled circumstances thus far. I haven't had a chance to uh, do anything out on public roads uh, where some of the testing is being done in in Nevada and parts of California and other places. Um, But I would say, you know, in more controlled environments, I've probably, oh, I've probably logged uh, 100-plus miles in different autonomous uh, conditions. But, you know, a lot of the current cars that you can buy today uh, or buy tomorrow have a lot of technology on board, which will are, are practically autonomous. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, a vehicle that we just introduced at the Detroit Auto Show uh, just a few weeks ago. It's a, it's a new large um, SUV, eight-passenger SUV crossover kind of vehicle called the Telluride. And that vehicle in Kia's lineup will be – it has on board the most, you know – pre-autonomous driving technology of any other vehicle in our lineup. You're able to to get into that car and establish a, a place in a lane and a speed and, uh, you know, a, a relative uh, sense of direction and, and press buttons, and the car will take over. Now, it's it will steer. It'll keep you in lane. It'll watch the traffic behind you. It'll watch the traffic ahead of you. It'll slow down. Uh, if traffic comes to a stop, it will stop. Traffic starts up again. It will take off again. So there's that safety and that comfort from that now it'll still ask you on occasion to to grab a hold of the steering wheel and uh, remind the system that there's a human that's paying attention there because again we're not right to that point of, of being able to uh, climb in the back seat and take a nap but I can tell you from logging thousands of miles in using technology that I've just described there's a real comfort uh, and a pleasure to just allowing the car to do just that much yes myself as a driver i still have to sit here and and pay attention and and make sure that uh you know when the car wants my my feedback i provide it but it's in those middle times where oh traffic's starting to slow down ahead of me that's okay the car will take care of it oh i'm drifting out of lane a little bit oh that's okay the car just pulled me back that's very uh that's pretty luxurious stuff yeah so so when and and that's on a lot of cars now so when you go to the next level and this is something that for whatever reason my mom always likes to ask me when she sees me which is when am I going to get a car that drives me around? What's right. your best guess? Like one that really shows up and you climb in and you go to sleep or you look at Facebook or you use Snapchat. When do you think we're going to get that? What's your best guess? Wow. Uh, you could just pick I a number. 
I mean, yeah, I'm no soothsayer on this, and I know you won't hold me to it, but I, I, I would say um, in certain environments, we're probably within five or six years from that. Uh, and when I say certain environments, maybe in city centers, uh, you know, I don't know where your mother lives, but if she's out in, you know, in a in a, a, in a suburban area or something like that, it may not be available for that, just those areas yet. But I think we're going to see districts or sections. Oh, like the robo-taxis and things that you might have in controlled environments where you don't go that fast, maybe you go 25 miles an hour, that type yeah. of thing. And especially when you're in an environment where there's other autonomous vehicles. I mean, that is a key component. We know how an autonomous vehicle is programmed to respond to certain circumstances. What we don't know is what a human will always do in those circumstances. So I know this sounds funny, but the autonomous future will vastly accelerate once we get into an environment where there's fewer humans driving. Because, candidly, the humans are going to cause the problems. It's not the cars. The cars are never tired, never drunk, never blink. Uh, you know, they're their full sensory overload at all times where I, you know, nobody listening to us right now can assure us that uh, they're always that way when they're driving. So uh, I, I would say that we're not far away from having, again, districts that might be able to provide that sort of, you know, uh, open an app, call the vehicle, it slides up to you, door opens up, takes you to your destination, and then drives off by itself. So one of the things that's interesting is, there are a lot of vehicles on the road. You mentioned Arizona and Texas and California and Florida is legal for self-driving vehicles as well. But you don't yeah. really see people sending the cars out without safety drivers in them. And being a safety driver is one of the toughest jobs ever because you actually mm -hmm. need to pay more attention than if you were driving because you're supervising something that's kind of like a teenager that can't quite reach the pedals yet. And right. the car is doing funky things. But at the same time, the engineers and the people that built the car, they want you to go kind of to the edge of something bad happening so that mm -hmm. they get the data that they need. But you don't want to let an accident happen because if an accident happens or it happens enough, you're probably going to lose your job. Uh, yeah. And and becomes, you know, we saw that situation with, uh, I believe it was a Volvo vehicle. Uh, nothing against Volvo. It was the technology that they were testing. And and uh, I think a person, I think it was determined that the person kind of unexpectedly stepped out. Oh, yeah, the Uber incident, which was tragic for everybody involved. Absolutely. No, horrible. But, you know, again, those, and, and of course, we all remember that because, wow, there we go. Autonomous doesn't work. Well, the human factor is still incredibly random and important in this uh, conversation. So, yeah, you're right. Um, the, the industry is very keen to minimizing any sorts of uh, of newsworthy moments and keeping, uh, you know, safety is, the, is, is, the, is, again, safety is the reason for autonomous driving. Being able to check your Facebook feed uh, while you're going to grandma's house is a, is a nice thing. But the safety that can come from uh, vehicles all watching each other and being and recognizing what they're going to do in certain circumstances and then following suit and, and coexisting nicely, that's, again, what we humans uh, sometimes struggle at. Yeah, and you mentioned humans. Human factors is a big part of it. And how do people yeah. interact with autonomous vehicles? So you have two different things there. You have what does it feel like to be riding in a car and you have no idea what it's doing? And I know when I ride with somebody that I know is not a good driver, one of the most terrifying things is when they go to turn left on a major highway through uh -huh. a, a gap in traffic. That's one. Yep. And then the other is if I'm out jogging and I'm crossing an intersection, I like to make eye contact with that person in the vehicle before I step in front of it. How do you know the car knows you're there? So 
One of the things that I've seen tests of, I don't know if you've seen these videos as well, is people put on costumes where they look like a car seat and then they drive it around as if it's a self-driving car. And they do that both to pick people up and sometimes like they'll get in a lift and they won't even recognize that there's not a person in there or also to see how people interact with crosswalks. Have you have you seen any of these videos? I feel like I have. I, I, I'm wishing I looked at it closer. But uh, yeah, I feel like I saw something where a person was, as you say, dressed like a uh, car like seat. A seat. Yeah. And, I, and then I immediately went to, oh, this is some sort of. Um, you know, prank show. <laughs> but no, it's, it's real technology being tested. So uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you're right. There's, and this is so fascinating about this time. You know, I remember, as you kindly pointed out, I've, I've done some time in this industry now. And I remember vividly when hybrids first came on the scene. And I was one of the first people in, in my town to buy a hybrid vehicle. And the, and the amount of questions that people had about it and, and the lack of understanding guys like you and I who, who are students of the industry, we knew what was going on. Uh, we knew that it'd be something great, but the average person doesn't know. There was that inflection point. Now, 20 years on, whatever it has been since hybrids have been out, uh, there's, there's a level of understanding. If nothing else, people know, oh, they get great fuel efficiency. Uh, that's what's so great about moments like this in history, these inflection points where, uh, you know, it must have been how it felt when motorized vehicles first came on the scene when we were all getting pulled around by uh, in horse-drawn carriages that had to be you know the first time somebody saw one drive by where there was no horse pulling it that rewired people's heads and and, you know the kind of uh, experiments that we've been talking about here today and the experiences of those it's doing the same thing for us it's building a level it's kind of callousing if you will our, our sensibilities about what it means to be transported because at this point we're you know it's think about it it's amazing that we're very comfortable to jump into a little glass and, and metal box and hurdle along a highway at, at 75 miles an hour uh, and you know with one hand on the wheel and the other hand uh, playing with the radio or something uh, that is a big shift from what people 100 years ago or, or 50 years ago thought was possible and so we can only imagine how how, how we're going to be rewired over these next 50 years. It's it's just one of those really interesting points where we'll look back at the year you know, 2020 and say, ah, oh, yeah, that's when all this was going on. So when you go back to CES and you think about some of the announcements that you made there, what was the announcement that Kia made that you were most excited about? I think it, it was, you know, I, I remember vividly uh, when I first got the documentation from um, our headquarters in Korea. Uh, identifying what sort of technology we were going to be debuting. And when I saw that phrase, post-autonomous, that caught me because, uh, as we've correctly pointed out in this conversation, this autonomous thing seems to be something that's just out on this distant horizon that we're not getting close to it just yet. So for us to to say, let's talk about post-autonomous and, and again, focus back onto what the human beings are going to do in that environment, I, I thought was pretty fantastic. And the idea that, you know, this, this read technology that we have, uh, a series of sensors that will actually monitor, uh, you know, blood, um, uh, sorry, uh, skin temperature and emotive state and really kind of dig into what the human's doing and their, and their sensory experience and then adapting the car to best uh, provide comfort in that scenario. Uh, the analogy that I gave in Las Vegas several times was the idea that, uh, you know, you, you jump in the car, you set it to take you to, uh, well, I'll keep using grandma's house because that seems to work, uh, take me to grandma's house, and, and then uh, maybe you do another setting that says, yes, and I think I'd like to sleep. 
And then if you imagine you're sitting in the car and oh, starting to get a little bit tired and maybe a yawn or two, the car recognizes that. It re, uh, uh, lowers the seat back to a, a, a comfortable degree. Maybe it raises the temperature slightly to make it a little more warmer for you to sleep. Maybe changes the music to something more comforting and, and more uh, dreamlike. Uh, and so it facilitates you getting that uh, nap before you arriving at your place. On the other side of it is um, I, I jump in the car and I, it's take me to the office. I've got a lot of things to prepare. I've got some emails to go through. I've got a uh, presentation to, to approve. Uh, having technology on board that I can then, uh, through gesture controls, modify, uh, respond to things, uh, be fully connected, wirelessly connected to my business or my personal life, and do it all in a touch-free environment. Uh, and then come to a point where maybe I, I uh, push a, uh, a virtual button, and it allows me to, again, grab a little 10-minute cat nap and yeah. adjust the entire yeah. uh, cabin to allow that. So I have a very pragmatic question, and you've been in the automotive industry for a long time, and automakers in general like to show things at auto shows, CES, et cetera, about future concepts, future ideas. Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. the purpose of that? Who's their, uh, who's their audience? Who are they getting excited? Is it a way to help build excitement for the brand, or is there another purpose in talking about these futuristic ideas? Are you are you referencing at an auto show environment? Sure. Or a CES? Or Either both? one. Yeah, both. Okay. Uh, well, I think my answer is the same for both, actually. It, it's really, uh, partially, it is a, a marketing or a brand motivational thing. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of flexing your muscles, showing what, uh, what you've been working on, uh, you know, and if there's something there that it, it kind of wows people, then they, maybe they, uh, you know, ascribe a new level of, of interest or comfort in potentially driving one of the cars that you can have today. So there's that, there's that kind of uh, seeding the future that, ooh, this brand seems to be seems to be onto it, and if they're onto it for something that I might drive 10 years from now, they must be really onto something I could buy today. So there is part of it that's that marketing side of it. And the other side of it is, is sometimes to test out technologies, to see if people would be interested in, in say, uh, you know, virtual gesture controls, or um, I mean, I think a great example is uh, adaptive cruise control systems. You know, I, I remember when that was introduced on a Lexus vehicle, and people thought, "Oh, well, that that's never going to work. That that doesn't make sense." And now it's a very commonplace uh, technology, and that was something that that they kind of came forth with and said, "Hey, what do you think about this world?" And the world uh, embraced it. So it does go both ways. Sometimes it's to get that kind of uh, you know uh, future think kind of you know establish um, uh, kind of respect for the brand. Uh, but then a lot of times there's things that, you know, are Easter eggs there that you're, you are getting a glimpse into the future. And and um, and so that gives the manufacturer a chance to to gauge interest in that future. Well, James, this has been a great glimpse into the future and really appreciate your spending the time to join us today. Well, my pleasure. I told you at the start of this, I could talk about cars all day and I and I usually do. So uh, thank you for giving me a chance to do this. Well, and also, if you have the magazines by your bedside, you probably dream about them at night as well. Oh, I'm a mess. Trust me on that. So where can listeners go to keep up with you? Oh, keep up with me. Uh, well, I mean, I, I sh- uh, professionally, I should say you can go to Kia.com and see not not only what we introduced at uh, CES, but also what we've introduced uh, at the recent Detroit Auto Show and Auto Shows in the Future and our current lineup. Uh, but myself, um, I guess on Twitter, I'm at, at Petrolhead. 
Okay. Great. Well, uh, happy to have people uh, that, check me out. That's perfect, James. Sort of fun. Thank you very much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.